Welcome to Regrade Request, where two college professors take a second look at questions and answers from around the internet and from you, the listener. My name is Professor Will McBurney. And my name is Professor Mark Sheriff. And Will is back! I am Will back. Will is back. I don't, I'm not by myself again, where it was just one college professor talking into the void, much like every lecture I've given in the past year. That's not true, because you've been coming to the lectures and we've been yelling at each other Indeed. during the lectures, too, but... But yeah, you're back. How 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 you're finishing up this week, right? Yes. So so it's the last week of my summer class, and uh, it is uh, difficult to elicit participation sometimes. Um, <laughs> even even in the smaller what? class. What you mean? An online class during the summer is hard to get participation from students. What are you talking about? I know. Hmm. But but you're back. So excited that I don't have to talk the whole time. So you're now I can do off? it for you now. Yeah, the, well, that's kind of, well, are <laughs> if we the doing crypto Bitcoin again? Taught us anything. So we're doing, we're doing crypto again. Yeah. <laughs> Rimshot. All right. All right. Lead us off. What do we got? I'm ready. So Hit me. there are a couple questions I was, I was looking at this week. I know we, well, we talked about good, certain graphics That's, that's thing. kind of what our show's about but, is answering right. questions. I hope you, yeah. But here's one yeah. that. I read and I thought, you know, A, Sheriff might know this, but B, this kind of speaks to some of the topics that come up a lot on our show. Okay. Back in the day, why did mm. you need to change the Channel 3 to play video games or watch movies on your VCR? Oh, man. I loved the... Uh, so I you, you said Channel 3, and the immediate thing I thought yep. of... and. Uh, uh, gamers of our age will know this. The lovely little gray RF box that mm -hmm. came with the original NES. I yes. still have several of those for some strange reason that plugged into the coax port yep. uh, in the back of the TV or or just the, the two the two line, the yellow and the and the white, yeah. I believe. Yes. Gosh, that is that is from a while ago. Well, well so Why? the NES had two different ways that you could plug in. One was That's true. useful for coax. The other short for RF, which we'll talk about. Well, it, it, hey, it was ahead of its time. Mm -hmm. There were so many different ways of connecting it. Yes, I, I did have an old... Here, here you go. When I wasn't using the television, I connected my NES to an old Commodore 64 monitor. Hmm. Wow, I am old. Okay, <laughs> why did you put it on Channel 3? So, I mean, the, basically what you were doing was you were overriding that channel, I believe. But yes. So there's a couple but, parts of this but, question. But so, well, well, I was gonna say, was it was it because that was the the lowest frequency that was easier to override as opposed to like forty six or something? Well, I, I think first we need to talk a little bit about some of the context because we're jumping into the frequency okay, overriding. So the, the first thing, what is the frequency, Kenneth? Yeah. So so the first thing to address is the fact that effectively VCRs and uh, old VCRs and older uh, equipment that could plug into your TV often didn't plug in even through, you know, certainly didn't plug in through HDMI, which is relatively new. Before HDMI, we had uh, the component cables, uh, which was like, you know, you had the white and red for audio and then the green, blue, red. That was actually pretty short-lived. Before that, we had the uh, component cables where it was yellow for video and then white and red no, for the two sounds. No, you skipped S-video. Oh, I did skip S video. You're right. I mean, but then again, so did pretty much everyone else. Um, yeah. Okay. And and then before that was the coax cable, where you would you basically had 
uh, your game would screw into a coax port. You'd screw your TV into another end, and then that would go to the back of the TV. But before that, TVs didn't have coax ports. The earliest TVs worked simply as radios work by interpreting radio waves to uh, present the television. And so the only thing that the earliest TVs, and by the earliest TVs, I mean, we're talking 60s, but even into the 70s and early 80s, this was so common, the only thing that you knew the TVs had was the RF, or radio frequency, um, things, and it would basically be it would basically be these two little prongs that you would attach to two screws that completed a circuit, and those went to antennas, and those antenna would pick up the radio frequencies, etc. That's how you got television. This was before cable, right? Certainly before <laughs> digital cable or anything like that. Yeah. And all of our current students who are listening to the podcast are saying, no, this never happened. Yeah. This technology. <laughs> yeah. Well, so if, you know, if you see old shows with the TV rabbit ears, that was how the antenna uh, on, on the TV, the rabbit ears, or if it was an outdoor antenna, uh, that was how they connected to the TV was through those two prongs. And so effectively you took out those and plugged in your own for your NES. But then what do you need to do? Well, in order to actually interact with that, you had to simulate as though you were broadcasting uh. a television channel. So you effectively had a modulator, which was a tool used for basically taking some picture or signal or sound and translating it to a radio frequency to be sent over airways. You would have a modulator in the uh, Nintendo that would broadcast on theoretically it could broadcast on certain frequencies um and we'll get to why three and four were selected specifically but it would act like a tv uh uh broadcaster right but due to F fcc rules they had to actually protect it with a a steel with a little metal cage so it didn't actually broadcast so that was why the wire is used because you're not actually broadcasting oh, it. Okay. You're you're and and that's from FCC rules. Right, right, right. Because it used to be TVs were wireless. I mean, other than their power. <laughs> you know, man, we've taken a step back in technology, wait, haven't we? Wait, wait. You mean TVs were wireless before we put them on Wi-Fi to get our streaming yeah. Netflix and HBO Max? I know. Oh Crazy. my gosh. Okay. Well, okay. Well, this makes sense. So the Nintendo basically was a pretend antenna. Sort that of, was yeah. transmitting mm -hmm. the video game goodness, or, or okay, or or your Betamax VHS mm -hmm. VCR pretend broadcasting Correct. channel three, three and four. But okay, but why was it only channel three and channel four? I mean, I was always upset because it was WBTV in Charlotte, and that was like the big CBS station. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. now it's Super Mario Brothers. So the um, the original reason was primarily because. And that, and by the way, those channels were chosen for an American audience. Two benefits: one, lower frequencies are cheaper to modulate. That's uh, one. Okay. But oh, the, the bigger one is in the era of broadcast television, um, which you know there is still broadcast television. The FCC uh, basically forces channels to not be right next to each other. Now, analog broadcasting is is dead. I should note it's it's all digital now, but. Um, in the era of analog, 
the, the channels basically are defined not by like there's not like a label on the sound wave or on the radio wave that says hey this is channel three it's a particular frequency range you know mm-hmm. messages in that frequency range are channel three messages in a slightly shorter free or a sh- slightly higher frequency wave are channel four slightly higher channel five well channel one doesn't actually exist Uh, And it used to exist, but it turned out that it was actually too low a frequency for TV. So they gave channel one to basically police radio. Um, So that frequency actually didn't belong to television. So televisions weren't made with a channel one. Many also weren't made with a channel two, although that wasn't super common in the U.S. But because of the rules, the channels had to at least be two numbers apart. And at the lower frequencies, that was even more enforced. You typically would have a channel two and a channel five, or you might have so three, three and four were less common. But if you had a channel three, you wouldn't have a channel four and vice versa. And if you remember, there was a switch on the Super Nintendo or not the well, also the Super Nintendo, actually. But there was a switch on the Nintendo that said which channel channel three or channel four. So that way, if you were in a channel four market, you could switch to that. And the advantage is then if you basically screwed both the rabbit ears and the the NES, um, again, we're talking not the coax cable, but the, uh, the, the RF adapter, the RF part, adapter yeah. in at the same time, the NES could override the the basically static from the other channel. Uh, uh, since okay. there was no television market in the United States that had both channel three and four. So in other words, I was just overriding our lovely, wonderful CBS station when I should have just been using channel four. But for some reason, little kid me always thought that it had to be channel three. Huh? Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Now, if you had a coax, it was just a bypass and that's a whole separate thing. But okay. well, there you go. Well, hey, I learned. I mean, I always knew that I was putting on channel three, channel four. But, um, you know, thinking about it now in the terms of it being a modulated signal that is effectively a fake broadcast that make that makes tons of sense and turns out my first question has to do with broadcast also okay the first question that i have came from the arcade stack exchange and it has to do with frame rates now you are a proud owner yes. of a brand new shiny ps5 just brought it home with, from the hospital yesterday yeah that's no, right no. <laughs> a little they wrapped no. it in the yeah, wrapped in that duck swaddling cloth we, that every, we swaddled every kid it in bubble, gets. bubble wrap and yeah. yeah. Yeah, and man, it 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 pushes the pixels and it's it's mm-hmm. it's great. I, I out of curiosity, what are you what are you playing it on? Like, I know you have a super wide monitor, but do you have I, a reason? What, what what's your TV your situation? So I, I I'm playing it on. I have an OLED TV actually. Um, so it and is. And you're connecting with an RF adapter, so you can override yeah, channel exactly. four. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Um, it's, that's how you get that that. 4k definition yeah yeah so what sort of refresh rates on that tv i know it, it, one, i know is, it can i know it can do 144 hertz mm-hmm. i don't know what the actually the upper limit is i do know it can do that well the question is why do video game frame rates need to be so much higher than TV and cinema mm. frame rates? It seems that video games need to have something like 60 frames a second and interjecting here, 
gamers often point at 60 frames a second as some sort of golden standard mm -hmm. for being able to play games effectively. But in order for it to be smooth and realistic, but team TV and films only go either 24 or 24 and change, whether you're NTSC or PAL right. or sometimes 30, depending if it's, if it's upscaled in some interesting ways. And so there's actually a little bit of an interesting discussion here, but I'll toss it to you first. Do you know the base reason why gaming mm -hmm. aiming for that 60 TV 24 to 30 or film? So I have, I have personal experience with this from the last weekend uh, in control uh, for the PS5, the the ultimate edition. That is a video game, not yes. just he has control of his right. PS5 in front of him. Uh, the video you, game yeah. control. You can pick one of two graphics modes: either performance, which has sixty frames per second, but no ray tracing, which we'll talk about what that is another time, or thirty frames per second with ray tracing. So the third, so the with the ray tracing, it looks really nice, but it's actually hard to control. And the reason is if you're aiming, because it is a shooting game. If you're aiming, you know, you're going from, like, say, right to left. When you reach the target, you want to stop. If your frame rate <laughs> that, is That is the definition lower, of aiming, yes. Yes. If, if your frame rate is lower, you might pass over them from one frame to the next. Mm -hmm. Because that distance is bigger, whereas if the, di the time difference is smaller, you're less likely to do that. So it's about responsiveness in control. Whereas when you're playing or when you're, when you're watching a movie, you don't need control. I mean, unless you're playing, unless you're watching like Bandersnatch or something, but that, that was a whole separate thing. But that, that, that idea of control, it's, it's, it's ironic here that we're talking about the game control and the notion mm. of control of the game that does play into it a lot because your, re your reaction rate for games that require some sort of, interactivity, some sort of Twitch gameplay, you need to have the refresh rate higher because um, your your actions could be faster than the refresh rate. However, when you are watching a movie, when you're watching you know TV or something like that, it's a passive activity. You're not trying to make Steve Urkel enter the house if you're watching an old episode of Family Matters. I have no idea why that was the reference I came up with right I, there. I, but... I, I would very much try to make Steve Urkel enter that house. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that's the first that's the first aspect of it. Um, another uh, super interesting aspect of it has to do with, well, why don't we then just watch TV mm -hmm. at 60 frames a second? Or, as you noted, your TV can do 144 yep. hertz refresh rate. You know, seeing 120 hertz refresh rate on a TV is very, very common now. And. I'll tell you this, I don't know about you, but whenever I go to someone's home and they've got the 120 hertz kicking on that on that television, not that I go to people's homes anymore. What am I talking about? Right, it's yeah. COVID time. But back in the day, it looked horrible. Like I thought it looks <laughs> thought weird, it gonna, right? It, it's, it looks weird. They call it the soap opera effect. Yeah. And why does that happen? I mean, you might look at a TV and say, oh, it has 120, 120 is bigger than 60. I have to get that. Mm -hmm. But the problem is it was still shot at like 24 to 30 frames a second. So the TV TVs have powerful computers in them right now. They mm -hmm. I mean, really and truly they do. So you give it something. It's like, let's just say it's 30 frames a second. Let's right. just have even numbers here. OK, you give it something. This is 30 frames a second. So. Uh, the TV says, but I can update it 120 times a second. That's four times more than what you're giving me. So the TV could say, huh, 
this frame to this frame, I will magically it's not magic it's it's good math. computer science it's math it's really just changing yeah it's 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 some it's some uh some linear algebra here but we're going to interpolate mm -hmm. between these two frames and it's going to smooth it out and for most people not all of them not everyone it looks pretty weird because you're hitting that uncanny valley exactly in a it's the, way it's you're the uncanny not expecting valley. to hit yeah you're, mm -hmm. you're you're hitting something that looks like true motion um in terms of the speed but it isn't and so you get a lot of uncanny valley effects but the reason it looks weird isn't because it intrinsically looks weird the reason it looks weird is because we've been conditioned to think it looks weird exactly Except it also still looks weird to me because I think it's too smooth because there's just too much interpolated information. I, no, okay, here's my point. And, and this is what people have made the argument to me is, well, real life is millions of frames a second because that, you know, it, no, that sort yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's limited by your eye. That's fine. But the thing is, is that it's because the algorithm that's done to do this interpolation, <clears throat> I would argue, does not give enough perfect representation Agreed. in the moment. Mm-hmm. That if if film is shot at 120 frames a second, then maybe, maybe. But there were actually some just recent instances. I'm I'm turning here to look at my notes the to see Hobbit if I can movies find movies were what 48. Thank you. That was it. Yeah, the the Hobbit movies and something else was also was also done at 48 frames, so twice normal speed. Right. And in both cases, the director was required to also release it in. 24 mm -hmm. four theaters right Cause, because cause people, several movie theaters don't have 48 frame per second i mean most movie theaters even don't have 48 frames per second projectors well that and just people were complaining yeah at least from yeah. what i under, from, understand from the from the notes so but but why do we think the higher frame rate looks worse so okay well why do you do you think it looks worse or do you just think it looks different? Um I I, I would say that people hate change, so both. <laughs> no, okay. um, well, I suppose that's fair. I mean one of the reasons is home video cameras were often designed to shoot 60 frames per second or 30 frames per second. They were actually home video cameras were higher frame rates a lot of times than Hollywood movie cameras. Hollywood movie cameras originally used even less than 24 frames per second because film mm -hmm. was expensive. And yep, when you're using physical, where it started, right. And if you're, and if you're using a lot of film, you're paying per reel of film. Well, so home videos come out and they're 60 frames per second. And what ended up happening was as home videos were a phenomenon that really doesn't seem to exist in the same way anymore. I, maybe that's just, maybe that's just cause I'm older uh, and, and that's why uh, Okay, but, you uh, you obviously okay. Wait till you have kids yeah, yeah. and you are walking I, around with an HD will be, camera in your pocket. I will I will be that dad. Um, yeah, but yeah, we yeah. people grew to associate that higher frame rate with amateurism because it was both a higher frame rate and someone oh, interesting rocking the camera back and forth because they don't have a steady cam because you know they're just a guy with a handheld camera. There's no weight to it. There's no balancing. And so it looks amateurish because it was. And so I, there is a bit of that factor there as well. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, 
just for I mean, from my perspective, again, I, I don't know necessarily. Yes, there is the comfort factor for me mm-hmm. when I'm looking at. Oh, the other thing. I, gosh, I can't believe I forgot about this. The other thing is, is when you're thinking about old film, like true film and it's, you know, the shutter's going off rapid, 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 rapid. And if there's motion, there is actually motion blur in the film frame itself. Yes. So there is extra information that your brain is getting to fill in those gaps naturally because of that blur that's mm-hmm. on the, the actual film itself. But when we're talking about a video game or something that's being interpolated, this is, you know, basically static images being thrown up on the screen mm-hmm being dynamically generated one at a time and there is no notion of motion blur and so it that can add to it as well although i will say i find it um because motion blur is something that naturally actually helps something look better but yet when people are gaming they tend to that tends to be the first setting they turn off is motion blur and i always found found that interesting by the way i turn it off too but that's besides i what future question that i want us to tackle is the notion of playing classic video games on an HDMI pixel perfect screen versus a CRT yeah. and how and how art was designed for the two of them. But that that's a question for another day. But anyway, that was my that was my dip down into to technology. Um, I, I in our pre-show, Will, Will was Will was uh, talking up the mm-hmm. next question. And I and I I'm looking forward to hearing about it because I need to learn more about this, too. Where are we going, Will? So there, there's been a lot of talk in the news really since 2019, but uh, ev- ev- you know, even in through the election and, and now, which is about this thing called Section 230. Which is a secret society in the latest MCU movies. It, it is and not. It's, it's, oh. No. Um, although, it could be, but no. Um, so Section 230 is a particular U.S. law. And it's a horrible name for a law. Right. Well, because originally it was a section of a larger law and pretty much all of the rest of the law has been struck down by the Supreme Court, except this one section. And there's in in order to kind of understand what Section 230 is, we need to talk a little bit about the history. And then. The question is, what is Section 230 and what would happen if it were repealed? So first, what is Section 230? Well, that's a simple question to answer. Let's read it. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Those those are the... Uh, and this, there's a book called The 26 Words That Made the Internet. Those are the 26. Okay, so, so it's it's user-generated content is mm-hmm. not the re- responsibility, is not considered pub, you know owned by, so to speak. I mean, you'll get into it. Yeah, so, right. And, and so that that's how it gets broadly applied, is the idea that um, oftentimes you'll hear a distinction between platform and publisher. And this actually is more or less a modern interpretation. It wasn't really what happened. So first, let's talk about where it came from. And I'm going to start with a bookstore in 1959. You may think, what does that have to do with the internet? Absolutely nothing. But the story has a bit to do with it. There's a, uh, in Los Angeles, there's a bookstore in 1959 and a police officer basically walked in and he saw a book that, was considered uh, erotic 
And he said, that's obscene. You weren't allowed to have this. It was an obscenity law violation. So um, Elazar Smith, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, was arrested, prosecuted, and sentenced to 30 days in jail. And the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And what the Supreme Court ultimately ruled um, wasn't actually anything to do with obscenity laws or anything. The idea was, look, she did not know that the content in that book violated this law. She actually just didn't know what was in the book because she's a distributor. She works at a bookstore, and it's not reasonable to uh, assume that the bookstore distributor knows everything that is in every book on the shelf. And so the idea is a distributor is not responsible for uh, content that they don't know is there. And that, that last part actually matters. That is a relevant portion. Because if you distribute illegal content that you know is there, well, that's a separate entity. But we're uh -huh. talking about if you are a distributor and you can reasonably not know what the contents are, you are not responsible. Okay. Now we're seeing how well, maybe claims. Go ahead. Yeah, by, by volume of content, you, you can't necessarily right. sort through everything or the way it's packaged or the way maybe even it's encrypted, potentially. So, all right, let's flash forward to the 90s. In the let's 90s. Flash, ooh, I like the 90s. Transformers, yeah. G.I. Joe, let's do it. Power Rangers. Um, all right. Power. So. Okay, sure. There were, whatever, you know, to each their own. Um, <laughs> there were two kind of interesting court cases involving effectively internet forums in the 90s. One involved a company called CompuServe. Another involved a company oh, called wow. Prodigy. Oh, man. Throwbacks. So, right. I love it. Both were effectively sued for not policing their content properly. CompuServe okay. treated their forums as the Wild West. They put them there, and they made no effort whatsoever to monitor Control, police, predict, nothing. It, it's there. Good luck. Prodigy, on the other hand, um, did actually try to moderate their content. They tried to moderate their content to, to limit inappropriate things. Um, they actually had moderators that looked through the content that was posted. But of course, as it got bigger, it became harder to perfectly monitor things and you know they both were sued for defamation they both huh. were sued for hosting content that defamed an individual's character now that's already a pretty high bar to clear in the u.s because of the first amendment but what specifically happened was interesting CompuServe, the court said hey you know they yeah they have these forums but they're not making any effort whatsoever to moderate them so they have no responsibility. They're a distributor. Prodigy, on the other... So so the courts ruled in favor of CompuServe. Oh, a man. Separate court I see where this is going. ruled against Prodigy because they said, well, look, if you're going to moderate it, then you're acting as a publisher. You, then you can't do a crappy job. <laughs> and you can't do a crappy job. You are responsible for the job you do. And so immediately the fear was... Not that everyone would start like over moderating the internet, but the exact opposite that the message being sent was literally don't do anything to moderate anything on your website or else you'll be responsible for it. That was the fear. And so 
to pr- at this time keep in mind this is you know this is a, a, a you know a point where there's a lot of you know people in government that you know really are worried about like bad words on TV types right well this is this is we're approaching you know Mortal Kombat and and right, the, yeah. that those the Joe Lieberman of... fallout and everything yeah 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 and so. Congress passed Section 230, which were the rules I said before, and effectively the idea was to say, more or less, the company that is hosting the content can't be held liable for uh, for things that are posted unless they are in violation of certain specific federal laws. Now, I said federal, not state, and that's relevant because there are certain state laws that have actually had it have had ramifications of section 230 even before people knew what section 230 was but specifically if the content is there and the publisher not the publisher excuse me the distributor can't know it's there then they're protected hmm. so this allowed but it also basically allowed them to still moderate their content without being deemed a publisher that's effectively what the purpose was. Let them moderate their content without it going all the way of, well, now they're going to be sued for defamation. But there's some fallout from this. And and so, like, yes, this led to things like Facebook and YouTube. But this also led to things like Yelp. For example, imagine if Yelp were liable for every review posted on their website. <laughs> Right. That could lead to a lot of frivolous or otherwise defamation lawsuits against Yelp. Sure. Basically, restaurants picking their own reviews rather than, you know, just the reviews that are there. Right. So, you know, newspaper comment sections would have to be controlled and restricted. So 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 that, that that would be the fallout if if Section 230 weren't there. But it's not all sunshines and rainbows that section 230 is here because uh not long after actually the the start of this case was before section 230 was passed uh on an uh on an aol forum uh there was uh after the the oklahoma city bombing there were a bunch there was an individual with masquerading as someone else posting very, very offensive T-shirt designs and saying, hey, call this number to buy these. And so they made their screen name this other guy's name, which I'm not going to repeat because he got horribly harassed from this. You can look up the story Mm. if you want. Just Oklahoma City AOL Section 230. It'll be relevant. This guy got horribly harassed because it was his actual phone number. Now, to my knowledge, they don't know who actually posted this, but we we know it wasn't that individual. So this individual then, um, you know, this was still in the early days of the internet, so it wasn't like this went viral or anything. But some radio host in Oklahoma City found it and talked about it on his radio. And this guy lived in Seattle. Right. And so the guy in question uh, who 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 was the the victim of this effectively horrific online prank starts getting calls from people in Oklahoma City. Again, the shirts being very very. I won't repeat them uh, comfortably. Yeah, okay. Derogatory messages yeah, about yeah, Oklahoma. Yeah, City. yeah. So this guy is getting harassed round the clock. Jeez. He goes. AOL takes it down. 
the same person comes on and posts the same content again. He gets harassed. AOL takes it down later. He tries to sue and say, you know, look, AOL continued to allow this to be posted. AOL is protected by Section 230. Once they knew it was there, they took it down, but they weren't liable for the content that was there. So that's that's the trade-off. And and hmm. so th- this individual basically has not gotten any recompense for w- what occurred. And I think their their lawsuits ended in around 2000. So the, the it is a double-edged sword in that respect. Um, but if you're looking at what would happen if Section 230 weren't there, and you're you're saying then that theoretically every website is liable for whatever content anyone else publishes there. <laughs> You're basically talking about the end of at least the social aspects of Web 2.0 in terms of social media. But in terms of YouTube, you know, if YouTube is going to have to closely moderate every single thing that gets posted, I mean, it's already a pain just to be able to make ad money because they have to moderate that very closely. But you take that to um, the extreme. I mean, we wouldn't necessarily be able to load our class videos to YouTube because even though they're very likely to be innocuous, you know, it would, because our videos generally have lower viewership relative to the, the big, the big names on YouTube, it would not be worth their time financially to review our videos. So they just wouldn't because it would be a risk. If we, if we said something that they disagreed with, that could happen. Well, then the, the other aspect then is just the democratization, the removal of the democratization of being able to, to share content. Exactly. Just period. Right. right. You know, if, if you don't have the money, the power, the, I mean, I mean power, I don't mean like mm-hmm. physical power or political power. I mean, literal, just like electrical power or, or, or computing server. power. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we, we both work at an institution where, you know, we can set up a server and we mm-hmm. could host things that are, you know, relative, you know, to, to, to our, to our job, to, to education, mm-hmm. you know, do I host other things on there on occasion for, you know, yeah, sure. Nothing like my personal website and things like that. But if the university was then responsible for, for, I mean, you, you can mm-hmm. see how this could, this could certainly spiral. And, you know, what would happen if you're trying to go to, if you're just a, an online, a retailer, you're mm-hmm. just trying to, you know, you're trying to Etsy it up, you know, you're just trying to make a little money making, Crochet, crocheted goose bikinis because one thing my family literally <laughs> will just what? lost it. Yeah, yes, we have a crocheted goose bikini for my wife's uh, lawn goose that is in the front yard, and that is something that she looked for on Etsy. And I'm I have no idea what our search history flags now look like to whoever is looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if, if you know you're trying to sell something like that or any or anything, mm-hmm. I mean. This just introduces a level of censorship, uh, whether it's whether mm-hmm. intentional censorship, as you mentioned, like YouTube, Google having to review the videos. Is it mm-hmm. worth for them to review them or just a kind of a passive censorship in that you literally can't get a message out there? Right. Period. And and, and a lot of this stems from basically uh, uh, an idea that emerged that really doesn't come out of anywhere that the purpose of section 230 was to encourage political neutrality or something thereof and it's not this is not the fairness doctrine of the internet um but but somehow it's kind of become twisted that way 
And I think that's where a lot of the source of the misinformation about what it is can do, because it's not some magic wand that if you repeal it, all of a sudden, like, you know, oh, well, they, they can't ban people anymore. No, they still can. And in fact, they'll ban a lot more people is what yeah. would happen. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of leave that there. Hmm. Well, that was that was uh, that was very nice. Thank you for for taking us down there, because, I mean, certainly it's been in the news. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to be completely honest, you know, I, I, I did think it was a it was. <laughs> oh, that it it's from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. That's what it is. Section section 37. Is that it? I'm I'm blanking. I've admittedly taken a bit of a break from Deep Space Nine because I've been reading this well, summer, but it you gotta rewatch Deep Space Nine every once in a while. And actually, space is our final question for the right. day. I like space. I space is great. You know who else likes space? Richard Branson. Ah, He's a fan yes. of space. Yes, our the the our, our friend, Mr. Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Galaxy, Virgin. I don't know. He took the Normandy. It looks like the Normandy. That paint looks like the I Normandy. I actually. Hang on. Let me let me look it up while you're talking. It, it looks it looks like a knockoff. Nor For those of you that don't know, Normandy is the name of the ship that is in the Mass Effect series. It's the Enterprise of the, of the the Mass Effect series, and uh, it just so happens that the Mass Effect trilogy is a favorite mm, of Professor kinda. McBurney. Yeah, kind of. You, ha you have to kind of see it. You have to kinda. see it in flight. Okay. Yeah. Regardless. No, I'm, I'm looking regardless. at pictures of it. Yeah. Here is the question for you, yes. Mr. McBurney. And this does come from the No Stupid Questions subreddit, mm -hmm. but I'm going to modify the question just a bit. And the question is, is Richard Branson actually, officially, an astronaut? And here's why the question comes up. Mm -hmm. In the United States, the NASA rule? Regulation? I don't know. The NASA rule of thumb is you become an astronaut you get your astronaut wings you get that stamp on your passport if you go higher than 50 miles mm -hmm. if you look at the the european union kind of the more international body you have to go higher than 100 kilometers richard branson went 53.41 miles that's 85.9 kilometers is he actually an astronaut or not um well, and he didn't orbit. He went up, kissed, kissed that that infinite beyond. Just kissed it mm -hmm. with that with those golden billionaire lips, and then slid back down to New Mexico, where it's much hotter. So this is where I'm going to throw out a, a, a phrase that I hear a lot, but I actually agree with: is that words don't have meanings; they have usages. By that I mean the sounds that I'm uttering do not themselves have intrinsic meaning but how you interpret them have meaning. So. Wow, that's a deep turn from is Richard Branson an astronaut, but take take us there. So, take us on this journey. So, okay. No. <laughs> the, the, the term astronaut has a usage of, we're talking about people who go into space, typically for the purposes of science. He went to the upper atmosphere for the purposes of saying he could have he went to the upper atmosphere. So, no. I say no. By, by all okay. usages of the term, I very comfortably say no. Uh, if, 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 if you're still experiencing air resistance, you are not in space. If you're still resistant. <laughs> I, I, and, and actually, 
Um, I do concur. I, I I would say no. And and for, forgive my my ignorance here. Isn't isn't he a British citizen? I I I sincerely don't know. I okay. Uh, All right. I, 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 I can say Richard that I have, I have Branson. not been. I have not been spending my days this summer yeah. looking up the latest Richard Branson news. I yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah I, he he's British. Oh so, yeah, then so so so. Well, he's wait, but they're not part of the, of the EU anymore. Hmm, tough call. Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you're flying out of the U.S., it's like it's like you 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 went to the. I, I'm, I'm going to go buy my fireworks in South Carolina because I can buy the really big ones there as opposed to North Carolina because it's just that the, the, it's just easier to do it. So I can I, actually I can relate of, to that story very closely for the note. OK, I, so I, I did spend Fourth of July with my my uh, in-laws in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm. And I used to live in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Mm. And boy, howdy, I remember vividly the, the, the North Carolinians that would come across the border just into Rock Hill mm-hmm. to just this this fairground of fireworks yeah. that, that they were selling there because apparently in South Carolina, you can just buy every form of explosive you want. Yeah. I guess yeah. I don't I know. I spent summers not... with my dad in South in in North Carolina and we did that exact thing. <laughs> this is, did you go to Rock Hill? I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know where we went. I know it was across the border. Um, South Carolina, the state where you can buy, giant fireworks but only mini bottles and bars unless they've repealed that i don't know i it's that not, was a law not for a, a long time I, it's not the one that i test that much or actually never so yeah, yeah. well there you go oh a little bit of a little bit of video a little bit of space <laughs> a little bit of I don't know, section two thirty. Yeah, that was a, that was that I'm proud of that transition. I took us from section two thirty <laughs> through Star Trek Deep Space Nine to space over to Richard Branson to space. Well Segways are weird. Have you ever read one? <laughs> that was that was not intended to be that kind of segue, but all right. <laughs> was it intended to be that kind of segue no. segue? Oh uh, that, that was a segue fault, I believe. How to oh okay. That's that's where we end. Thank you all so much for joining us for this seventh episode of Regrade Request. That's right. The episode that I recorded by myself is episode 6.5. I'm not counting that because there was only half of us here. And so there you go. If you have not had the opportunity yet to subscribe on the podcast service of your choice, please, we would very much appreciate it on Spotify, on Anchor, on iTunes wherever you get your podcast we very much appreciate it we would also very much appreciate your feedback if you've made it this long into any episode you you have the right to tell us anything you want yep <laughs> you can reach us at hosts at regradequest.com mark at regradequest.com or will at regradequest.com and of course you can always go to regradequest.com to listen to past episodes and record your own message if you have a question that you would like for us to answer on the show. And I, I would love to have any submissions <laughs> because, I mean, look, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying going through Reddit and I'm enjoying going through Stack Overflow and these other places. But I want to know what, you know, I... It, Okay, it's the eternal professor problem, right? You get in front of the class, you you give your lecture, you like, hey, this was awesome. What questions do you have? Chirp, chirp. Yeah. Chirp, chirp. 
Chirp, chirp. That was a cricket for anyone that needs to. Anyway, I could open my window. There's probably some cricket noises out there or some cicadas. Yeah, because we because we are in Virginia and that's what we got right now. Well, for myself and for Professor Will McBurney, thank you again so much for joining us. And remember, watch for falling goats. Do you Take think, care, everyone. Do you think Richard Branson took the goats up on that that high altitude airplane? Do you, Do you think the goats are astronauts? Could, um, could it be goat goat goatronauts? I don't know. I don't think they've ever put a goat into space. I know. I know. I know. I know what monkeys what about and dogs Richard Branson? Are made.